0: But using this, uh, this tradition of the Vasa uh, here, as we, we decided that first we thought maybe of changing the Vasa for Europe into the winter, winter time because that's the, the kind of where the weather is difficult. But then that throws us out of uh, synchronicity with the Thai and Sri Lankan Vases. And it gets all complex, since the world is so small now, it's not no matter so so much as we're very isolated or that Thailand is very far away that or Sri Lanka is very far away that we uh, we more or less out of just respect for tradition use this uh wassa in the same season that that they use just for convenience, really. And then, of course, the reflections of coming together and separating. Tomorrow, the uh, various people will be leaving Amaravati, people that came here and then separating. Our Venerable Vimelo is going back to Japan. Then Venerable Asaji is going to Canada. And uh, Sister Maidanandri is going off to Florida. And uh, Ajahn Karunika is going back to Tithurst and on and on like that so we have uh, this coming together and separating experience now reflecting on these re- when we reflect on is that the monastic life is, is a kind of background for contemplation and just seeing how it affects you because we maybe we get uh, we have ideas of what we like or what we want sometimes when the community goes down there, bhikkhus become scarce or siladharas become scarce or uh, hardly any is around and all that, then people uh, feel there's something wrong or the, the mind goes into, into this kind of anxiety. So we want to observe uh, just the, the way the mind, way our mind, our emotions react to the changing conditions that we're experiencing. It doesn't matter if we're all here or we all disappear as long as we're being you know, using a situation for observing how our mind works. We're not here to just try to support a community just for some kind of emotional dependency or some ideal of what we want as uh, as a community and uh, then we get attached and we get very uh, you know very fixed and and also very upset and very disturbed by the changes that take place in any situation if we if we're attached to a particular certain aspect of it and then we want to observe that uh, that attachment because that is the cause of suffering attachment through ignorance is uh, is the cause of dukkha and that's for you to contemplate to Contemplate means for you to to observe what attachment is, and so you know what, what why you know what suffering is. I mean, we all very much emotionally we like the idea of of uh, everybody supporting the the monastery, everything going well, people living in harmony. Uh, it's all developing, growing, getting better and better. Everybody's happy, and uh, we're getting. Uh, ev- everybody's practicing hard. Everybody's pulling their weight. Nobody's grumbling or complaining, and we're all getting enlightened, and and so forth. That's the that's the picture we like, and uh, and that's oftentimes what we. We think is is uh, you know what we hope will eventually happen, but if, uh, as you all know, we've been in this life long enough that monasticism goes through the various monasteries go through cycles of change and development and degeneration and expansion contraction, just like anything else. And the point is to you know not to attach to the monastery or to to an ideal or of something that you have, but observing how you, yourself, the individual emotional experiences in regards to what happens, the coming, the goings, the coming together, the separating. Or when somebody dies, which is the Matiga or Abhidhamma or uh, Anagarika Janet's uh, father-in-law, and then, uh, Itzhak Rabin, suddenly this, this uh, greatly re- admired uh, prime minister, is um, assassinated. And so, uh, this is uh, something that uh, we feel, you know, is it's also a part of life, isn't it? That what we love, what we, what we uh, like. Can be easily taken away from us at any moment this the uh, investigation looking into is is not an analytical thing it's not thinking but it's observing there's a difference isn't it when we think we we use rational thought and we observe things and we reason them out is one one function of the mind but this this uh, say just say an analysis in reason, where we we make a statement, and then we have to to uh, then the logic that comes from that particular position, say the reason for it all. And sometimes we we want reasons, and we like to analyze ourselves a lot. Uh, Western people, we we like to know why. Why do I get angry? Why do I feel fear? Why do I get jealous? Why? What is it? it? And then we we like to analyze and think maybe it's because of, you know, not enough love from father or mother or too much or whatever. And we we can endlessly kind of contemplate and and analyze, or more than contemplate, but it's not contemplation, but analyze or try to figure out why we are the way we are as personalities or... our own particular, unique, personal uh, reactions and problems, but mindfulness isn't isn't doing that. We're not we're not trying to trace the the cause uh, of of the condition itself, but recognize that that attachment to conditions out of ignorance is suffering, and so we we're, we're, we're using that particular teaching not as a position. That we believe in but as a statement to investigate we're to try to find out if that's true or not and in order to to know whether it's true or not for yourself you can't believe me or anyone else you're not supposed to believe the Buddha you're supposed to find out through this investigation looking into observing witnessing which is not reasonable activity it's a it's like an observation, like a somebody looking and observing, alert, attentive, watching. And so when you're suffering is a clue, isn't it? The dukkha is the is the kind of key, the first noble truth. When dukkha is not is a is a kind of ordinary experience we all have. Nothing special. It's just you know, you can as you as you increase, your mindfulness gets more and more uh, kind of con- continuous, uh, you realize how much unpleasantness we have in our lives through this sensitive state we're in. Just how the mind can easily just feel a, a sense of aversion over the way somebody said something or over just having an unpleasant thought in the mind and and how much of our life is uh, is is uh, kind of there is so much suffering in it that we we're just used to that we don't uh, we don't even uh, don't know there's suffering. I remember one time uh, somebody somebody asked their relative about an auntie about whether she ever suffered, and, and uh, she. Uh, she she didn't like the question. She says, "No, of course not. I don't suffer," and then walked off and t- 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 was talking about her her new her garden outside. How interested she was in the particular plants and whatnot in her garden. The total dismissal of suffering. Say, "I don't don't talk to me about it." So sometimes uh, a more kind of uh, severe experience uh, makes us w- realize what suffering is about. When somebody we love dies, or we ha- we we go through some kind of extreme um, sense of failure, or rejection, or broken heart, or whatever, these things are give us uh, uh, sometimes our awakening experiences for us. And we suddenly. Uh, recognize that this realm is suffering. This this realm that we are experiencing through the human conscious form is is very much the realm of dukkha. Now that's not something to believe either, but that's to to contemplate what dukkha is, to to understand it. Not in, not to project it and and take, use the idea of dukkha as some kind of statement about how what you believe life is, but what is dukkha? What is suffering? And as you begin to, you know, what I find from my own experiences of meditation is that that having a, a body like this is we're always in this state of sensitive. Uh, stimulation of being impinged on by all kinds of things, and then we, and then we, um, we're we're in a state where we're co- we're constantly being irritated, or agitated through the environment, and then we also, as we develop uh, and grow up, we we get conditioned uh, through our emotional habits and and views and opinions cultural attitudes and so forth, we have particular uh, sense of our self-worth and and all the biases and prejudices we acquire from the culture from the family, from the background that we come from. And that also, we create suffering inside and we experience this sensitivity from outside, Uh, the sense of ourself very much a a kind of an absolutizing of of a personal self or a soul makes us feel very lonely and separate from everything and I've noticed that that uh, in my own conditioning that this is very much a uh, a very very strong tendency of the mind to see things in kind of absolute terms of seeing people as kind of absolute. he is like this and she is like that almost fixing in your mind that they're there, the perception that you have in your mind kind of ongoing all the time. Or that I am this person, this, this kind of person, some view or feeling about myself as if it was an ongoing 24-hour, 365-day uh, of the year, 62 years of me being the same person every moment those 60 years. And actually, when you really look, there's a changingness of personality, of, of conditioning, of emotional habits, of happy, happiness and sadness, and, and um, so forth, that, that, one, that, that one is observing when you're really contemplating, being mindful of what's actually happening now. And so the refuge, then, is in this awareness. Is in this ability to pay attention. And because that, that is, uh, I mean, that's what we can do with, with all the changing things that happen. The, the coming together, the separations, the successes, the failures, old age, sickness, death, uh, and all the rest of it that human ex- uh, of human experience we can at least observe it we can witness we're the witness to these experiences and that witness is isn't conditioned by anything isn't isn't cultural and isn't uh, personal So that that's what we call the door to the deathless the doors to the deathless are open so the, it's just this simple ability that we have is to pay attention and be awake and that's before you start thinking isn't it? Just ability to, to listen and, and, uh, and open the mind now. That's before thought comes into it. Because then you start thinking, and we get caught up in thinking, and, and then we're, we're lost in the habits of thought, because thinking is a habit we acquire. Until we learn to use thinking with wisdom we start thinking wisely, using wisdom with thought, then, it, then it's not just a, a, a habit, but it is a, you know, it's a quite a skillful tool. But until we use wisdom, then thinking is just an endless kind of, you know, habitual patterns of me and mine and, and, the, and all the stuff that, that goes on in our minds. And, and if any of you spent much time alone in a cootie. You know, where you, you don't have anyone to talk to or much to do. And your mind starts saying the same stupid things over and over sometimes. I remember going absolutely you know, going crazy one time. Not not literally crazy, but absolutely you know, fed up with, with on this isolated in this little cootie and I kept having this stupid thought. Really Stupid! I wasn't intelligent thought, it was a uh, silly thought and I kept trying to get rid of it. And the more I resisted and tried to get rid of it, the more obsessed I became with it. <laughs> <laughs> so the thinking, the thinking, you know, and, and the sense of me and mine what I feel myself, my view, my opinion. How? What do people think of me? Am I liked? Do people appreciate me, or people don't like me? Am? Am I? Can I meditate, or can I really practice? Do you think I could ever get it lined? Or maybe I'm a hopeless case. Maybe I I have not enough. Bar me. Maybe I'm, I'm a, just totally impossible. I have to wait for the next lifetime, or maybe, whatever we think. I mean we. We, we we say we have maybe different way of looking at ourselves. Like some people see themselves mainly through very negative images, through what's wrong with them. Some people think of themselves in very positive terms. The other day went, had breakfast with somebody in in Petersfield. Who who talks about himself always in, in the most in superlative uh, terms. I don't meet many of those in England. <laughs> As I was saying goodbye, he, says, he said, uh, don't you think you're very lucky to come and see me this morning? <laughs> Something like that. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm a very lucky person.
1: <laughs> but
0: whatever the the view is, whether you think you're the best or the worst or, or maybe you're more reasonable, you're kind of partly good and partly not so good. Or whatever views. Or you know, like like the, uh, the in the in the sutra they say whether we think you're inferior, superior or equal. Uh, even thinking yourself equal to everyone else is still a thought and a view, a self-view. Not to mention thinking that you're better or worse than anyone else. So this, you can observe, a viewpoint is like that. I am this type, this is me, this is the way I am, is a view. And it's not that it's even wrong, in the sense of absolutely wrong, but it is, A condition of the mind and when we attach to it then it then we we tend that tends to distort and influence how we perceive the things around us we lose that wisdom or we don't use the wisdom we get caught in analyzing the world through a particular viewpoint a perceptual distortion Uh, Ajahn Chah used to talk about uh, because in our tradition in Thailand and he never encouraged us to read very much. So I asked him one time why? And he said because it makes you think too much and you get too many doubts. if you read uh, too many Buddhist books or anything? You know, I mean you start thinking and you're trying to, to uh, take the words out of a scriptural text and, uh, and those words are influencing. You tend to grasp these words and you don't see what you're doing. Grasping the words, grasping a, an idea out of, uh, out of the suttas. So then you know, it's like trying to explain the, the four stages of Sotapana, Arahan. This is an endless kind of uh, problem with Western people because the, just the way we tend to, to grasp those, those particular perceptions, make them highly personal, or make them too exalted, so that we don't, they're not helping us in, in coming to any kind of reflective realization of what, what, what we are doing, of where we are at in this path, in this uh, way of living. But it doesn't do you any good to go around thinking of yourself as a sodapana or to think that you're not one because if you grasp the view I'm not one or grasp the view I am you can, at least you can be aware of the a viewpoint and a and the grasping and the result of that grasping because. We, you know, the point is not to, to define ourselves or to, through any kind, through any perceptual, through any perceptions, but being able to just awaken the mind, the awakened one, the Bhutto, the one who knows the way it is. So, in monasteries like this, we're talking with... Uh, you know, how easy it is to get worldly things, make worldly things the kind of important, give them the kind of emphasis. As, because the world does have a, have a kind of urgency and, and it announces itself as terribly important. And sometimes our practice, the practice of meditation, doesn't seem as important as the world, worldly uh, urgencies, worldly conditions. So we oftentimes, my feelings are more important than my practice of the Dhamma, or my my position in the Sangha is more important than the practice of the Dhamma, or or whether people appreciate me or or respect me is more important than practicing the Dhamma, or you know, trying to straighten out all the problems of of the monks and nuns and lay people uh, through giving them kind of therapeutic. uh, instructions and trying to get them to come to terms with their uh, inner child or inner whatever. (laughs) Work out all their problems for them and endlessly kind of uh, this can seem more important than practicing the Dhamma or we can uh, just like the, the, the various emergencies and difficulties can seem more important than the Dhamma. But notice that this sense of something, of how, the, I notice that the world does have that it has a kind of hysterical tone to it sometimes. You can hear it in yourself, the worldly conditions in yourself, the kind of scream and internally scream or very insistent, very forceful emotions. It's like the story of uh, in the on the hill at Tumsang Pet, with his voice going, I want to live. Sound exactly like Susan Hayward. Screaming voice, I want to live. Uh, because uh, uh, the sense of dying takes place. You kind of you feel you, as you're letting go and realizing the relinquishing things more and more that there is a kind of uh, feeling of death and, and dying. Desire. Desire is dying. You know? it's, it's, it's ceasing and then, this, then the emotions can, can react very strongly. Yeah. I want to live. I want to be happy. I want to have a relationship. I want to have children. I want to fulfill myself. I want to become somebody. All these things, these kind of emotions can become very insistent, very real for us. So it does but the, the determination then is is to is in the, this refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, mm-hmm. this a mindfulness, aware of this process that we're feeling in the in the present. We're not trying to you know, analyze something that that you're not feeling right now, but you're noticing what you are feeling. So and you're it's not judging it's not making any comments uh, about being right or wrong good or bad it is it is what it is it's as it is now and so the the this, uh, this now the patjuban in pali they patjubana and tamma. here and now and the this is this is where experience is now. We only experience now. So contemplate that. This, things like experience is now. What you're experiencing right now, and even uh, even if you're planning to go somewhere tomorrow, that is that you're experiencing that planning now. And so this this now is. Is is forever changing in its in its quality and intensity and uh, conditions, but that which is aware in the present in the now mm-hmm. is a steady is the steady refuge that we can trust because it it isn't it isn't a, it never becomes any of the conditions in the now if we this awakenness of the mind. This ability to pay attention and listen, and watch, is is something that we can sustain through all the changing conditions that we're experiencing, such as our thoughts, our emotions, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and then all those are changing, moving conditions. The body too, Hmm. the body gets old. But what is aware? That awareness is—it doesn't age. It has nothing to do with aging of the body. So the body, our own bodies, there in this process of change, of aging, uh, till they die, and then the the various uh, pleasure and pain, uh, sickness and health experiences that the body has, and then the. Emotional impact of the coming together, separating, the, the praise, the blame, the good fortune, bad fortune, success, failure, uh, being important and highly regarded, being nobody and despised, and so forth. all These things are changing conditions depending on other factors, but they're always in this, they're always, but we experience them only in the now. So like like even if you think of yourself as as a, you, you perceive yourself as a failure when you really look at it that's a perception in the now and the, the sense of yourself in whatever whatever adjective you want to describe yourself is only is only a thought in the present it has no you know when, when, when that awareness is, isn't that it's not a self that awareness isn't a personal thing, isn't, isn't English or French or anything, isn't male or female. Not even Buddhists. So it, it, even the Buddha described his teaching as a raft to get across the stream. It's an expedient means not an end in itself. So that's why in the, in the, this uh, next year, ninety six, uh, just to uh, to encourage you to keep keep. Uh, this is a we need to keep reminding ourselves because we forget. And sati the word sati. Uh, in Thai, often translates as "kwam jokjam or to recollect or remember. To remember, because we forget. We get when we get caught up in our emotions and habits, then we're we're lost in that realm. You know, like you know, if I if I start thinking about myself and and I and I not being mindful, not using wisdom, then there's a whole pattern that goes on, kind of uh, a scenario, kind of you know that that just goes on, and goes and then goes on to something else. And I know before I ever started meditating, this is this this thing was just getting unbearable. You know, things would just kind of affect you, and then you'd be stuck in these kind of emotional habits that would just go on and on and on. And you kept trying to. Distract yourself and run away from things using all kinds of ways of, you know, just uh, to, to get out of the misery of having to think the same unpleasant thoughts or have this, the same obsessive uh, memories or, or inadequate emotional reactions to life and so forth. They just seem to be, see, one th- seemed to be stuck in it, in this mire. And then the then the the practice of meditation was a real breakthrough because in the in then one one began to realize the understand of them what the mind is and how to how to use it, how to develop it. Another uh, important thing is to is the realization of non attachment, to no attachment clinging To really know it and feel it, so that you can let it go, let go of desires, which is not repressing desires. You you see it, you know it, eventually you, first you you just have to train yourself to let go and eventually it becomes non-attachment to desire. Because you might feel a kind of vipaka karma, resultant karma, Emotional habits that arise in the present, and the desires for this, or or tendencies or inclinations for something or other, and and but you you don't attach as your mindfulness increases, and you're able to sustain it. You can realize non-attachment. So then that that really allows the desi- and say vipaka kama to cease without making any any new new karmic connections with it either through indulging or repressing it. So then, more and more, the mind is you realizing the emptiness of the mind or the purity of the mind. Emptiness, um, in English, sounds doesn't, doesn't sound so good, does it? When we say the empty mind, it sounds like, like lonely, absent, or void, or vacant. So, so but, and they the purity of the mind—a little more positive, isn't it? Because in that state, wherewith the mind blends, pure. There's, there's no, there's no taint in it. There's no self. There's no dukkha At least I can't find any. Because it isn't. It isn't an object. You can't find anything. It is. That's the way it is just that ability to sustain attention in the present it's so simple utterly utterly simple but then our karma might be such that then we that the simplicity is 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 impossible for us. We have, to, we have to we have to make it complicated for you, so you can understand it. But at least even the complications are pointing, aren't they? There, the, the the aim isn't to to just uh, involve the the intellect as just a some kind of exercise. Uh, but in order to, uh, say, keep reminding, keep remembering. The four noble truths, the eightfold path, and these different the, the efforts and the facu- faculties and the powers and so forth—all these different lists and teachings within Theravada Buddhism—you know—can be very helpful because they 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 help us to look at things from different different perspectives. In terms of, uh, say, in terms of, of power or in terms of the, the function or in terms of things like effort or, th- or faith or wisdom or concentration. But not to hold views about these things, but to realize them. Well, you, you don't have to have a view you, because you, it's something that, that goes on. It's something that ha- is happening. So the, the the kind of uniqueness of Buddhism lies is that it doesn't have any fixed position. And you not uh, it's a, it, it, there's no viewpoint, nothing to nothing to believe in, nothing to not, no starting point in terms of a of a of a of a, of a metaphysical doctrine or a belief. No, it's uh, the the starting point is like ground zero right now. The ability to awaken right now is not it is not not believing in God or it disbelieving in God. When Buddhists, when the, the other day, yesterday at the at the katina, the lady said, "God bless you," you know, at the end. Everybody laughed because. You know, in the, in our tradition, we say we don't, we don't believe in God, and we don't talk about God in Theravada, Unless we usually, if we talk about God, it's usually thinking. You know, in terms of we don't believe in it, <laughs> something like that. But the the uh, and and you hear people say, you know, Buddhists, especially in Theravada, especially in Sri Lanka, they're they're very. Strong and kind. In, I think because they were so threatened by um, Christianity that in some of their literature is very. You know, we don't believe in God. Kind of very you kind know, of. This is you know what we don't believe in. But even that is that that can be just another viewpoint that one is attached to. I don't believe in God. Is, uh you know is another attack uh, uh, maybe how, a view that you're very attached to. But notice that the starting point of ground zero then isn't, we're not affirming or denying the existence or absence of, uh, you know, of, of. we're not trying to prove that there is or there isn't. But what we can know is that, is that, that a view of God is a view of God. Or a view that there isn't any God is, is still a view and take that to any view about yourself or about Buddhism or about Christianity or any other any other bias, prejudice, uh, strong attachment. Like I've heard Theravada say, Theravada is the pure form of Buddhism and all the rest are, uh, you know, these Mahayanas have got it all wrong. They're heresies. That's a view, isn't it? It's a viewpoint. Theravada, Mahayana, these are viewpoints. And so then then you, you hear in the Mahayana school, the, they go on about how the Hinayana, it's better to be a, uh, some the, I've heard things like better to be uh, a worldly person than to be a Hinayana, and then Hinayana is Theravada. And then so you get, you get these kind of dirty looks sometimes from Mahayana people, you know. And then about, then I remember somebody asking Ajahn Chah years ago here in England about whether they should be an Arahant or a Bodhisattva. A great problem. A, trying to decide which path they wanted it to do, the Arahant or the Bodhisattva. And so these are, you know, you get got these viewpoints, don't you, from reading books and from hearing, lis- listening to people talk and uh, things like this. You, you know, you hear what people say and, and it's not that it's even wrong. You know not trying to say it's wrong or it's right, but it is a viewpoint, an attachment to views. What is it like? You know Attachment to a view of rightness creates a kind of a sense of of wrongness, absolute, kind of an absolute wrongness, an absolute rightness, where right and wrong are, you know, relative. They're not absolute. something's right, uh, relatively, you know, not absolutely. So even a view, you know, a good, a good statement, uh, you know, some, some wise uh, words of wisdom can be, they are right. But if we attach to those words of wisdom, what happens? We don't reflect, we don't contemplate, we just reiterate words of wisdom all the time. We don't develop wisdom. We might be able to say words that that sound wise, but we're not wise ourselves because we're not using wisdom. We're merely parroting the the wise phrases of others. So the, that's why when some, some foolish person says, you know, contemplate, somebody, some foolish, silly person says to you, do good, refrain from doing evil, purify the mind. You think, oh, shut up! And and a, and a great teacher comes. Ajahn Chah comes along and says, "Do good, refrain from doing bad, and purify the mind." He says, "It's so inspiring." <laughs> Why? Why is one inspiring and the other irritating? Because it says even if it were the, exactly the same word, it, it's 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 it, it, it. You're saying you know whether you're awake and aware, whether you're there's wisdom there and there's compassion. That's felt, you know. That's we pick that up intuitively. The words. And if these are lacking, and words can be all very clever and brilliant and, and uh, entertaining, but it somehow doesn't reach us. It can oftentimes irritate us. We can often feel averse. There's nothing more irritating than these, like these born-again Christians that, that, that look at you and they say, God died for you. And, and, and there are kind of tears in their eyes when they say it. And all you feel is a kind of nausea, <laughs> because they, they, they're saying this, They're they're saying that, uh, that you know they 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 don't know you. They don't. They're not. They're not in touch with anything. They're coming from a viewpoint, from an emotion, from a belief. And so it doesn't, it, and, and, it, and so we pick that up. It, it's not coming from some place that, that we can really respect. But when we do, we hear the words of, of wise people, people who are using wisdom, mindfulness wisdom, then it, it does. We feel it and, and it, we, we respond to it. now awakened awareness is something that one can't make anyone else do so i mean it, like like here at at amravati one can give I can give talks like this but whether you do it or not is is up to you something that that uh, one encourages and one reminds you to do but but it's your responsibility and you have to take that responsibility. If if this is what you're here for, if you if you're if you're not interested in this, then I suggest going someplace else. <laughs> Joining the born again Christians or whatever. <laughs> or making money. Or get married or do something. But if if you're interested in this, then then uh, then this is uh, you know this is a really make a, a kind of aditana or a resolution to keep at it. Because especially, very important, when it all gets, when everything goes wrong. Because it's easy to practice when everything's going right and you're inspired. But it, it, when everything starts falling apart, and then, and then we, we can easily uh, convince ourselves that this uh, this way is wrong, or there's something wrong with us, or whatever, and b- believe all the views and re- and emotional reactions we're having, rather than learning, witnessing, remembering, observing. So in the dhamma, the the awareness then if you really develop it, then, then it, it sustains. You sustain it through the, the presence and absence. You can realize non-attachment, realize emptiness, non-self. These are, these aren't just abstractions, intellectual abstractions, There, there's reality. And the, the relief of not being anybody, of not having to prop up a self or prove or or defend or justify or just endlessly be obsessed with oneself as a person that's a that's a relief not to be not to take a position of of trying not to be anybody because that's another attachment have, have a view that you shouldn't be anybody but that which is but as you you have that Sense of refuge, as that increases and, the, and this awareness is sustained and wisdom is being used, then we lose that, that interest in being somebody. It's no longer even interesting for us to be a person, to be anything. Because you see through it. You see that, that it's, you know, it's, it's just an illusion anyway. There's no... You, you, you've, you've investigated. You know for yourself. And so what remains when there's no person is what we call the realization of, of cessation. The absence of a person. But so this, this awareness is, the, is the, the means, the vehicle Now the monastic life here in the let's say the our life in the these different monasteries and whether you're here or at the branch monasteries or in uh, in Asia uh the practice always remains the same. not not a matter of that you do you know, one practice here and another practice there. The mindfulness wisdom is uh, is what you use. But the things can vary, like in different monasteries. Emphasize the teachers emphasize, uh, maybe teach in different ways or differ- emphasize different aspects. Which is is oftentimes good for us because we we do have to be you know stimulated or to have to confront something as we get we get adjusted or used to a particular style or way of living and. Sometimes when we change or we're kind of thrown out of that particular routine or way of talking or whatever, that you know, way of reflecting or way Ajahn does something or something, then you, you know, change oftentimes we, we feel uh, different reactions to it. But the practice is always the same. There's awareness, isn't it, of of change, of resistance, of, of uh, being infatuated, of being resistant. So like like say if you go to Chithurst or harlem or Devon or Switzerland or Italy or Watban Na or uh place in Sri Lanka or place in Burma or whatever, they this is not the important, so important in terms of that that the that one place is better than another because we're not thinking in terms of better or worse, but in terms of practice. And this practice isn't. I mean, there's awareness is is awareness of, uh, I- of of what we like something more than we like something else. That we might. Mu- like one monastery better than another the 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 practice then is being aware of liking or not liking or liking something more than something else, and that awareness of that as a condition that arises and ceases in the mind rather than making that our refuge the our viewpoint, our preference as something we grasp we we can actually uh, See, and learn from it. And then carried through many years, this practice is, is very, you know, is a, a, a profound effect because it more and more is so clear the teaching and the way is very clear as you keep, keep paying attention to your life and learn from where you are in the now or what is happening to you now, the way you're feeling it now, whatever way that might be or how pleasant, unpleasant or highly personal or emotional it might be it is not the issue. Whether or whether it's good or bad or right or wrong is not the issue anymore. It's the, the ability to if, to see it in terms of what it really is. So this the the nowness or the suchness or the as isness. You see, when you when you perceive something then you you kind of petrify it. You make it into something uh, a perception is is, is like, a, when you, when you live in a world of perceptions, you, your, your mind is then stuck in, in a kind of heavy, fixed, uh, it becomes fixed and, and kind of clumsy and, and heavy way of, of, of having to live your life. Because you, you only, you're only capable of 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 uh, being aware of using perceptual, of the, the perceptual ability of your mind. You're not intuitive, you're not flowing with life, you're merely going from one perception to another because you can't, you can't sustain awareness and be with the flow and the changingness of anything. You always see it in terms of a perception, in terms of a memory or a viewpoint, a fixed position. And you know that ho- how painful it is. I remember in, in uh, when I was growing, grad- when I first sta- started university, uh, feeling this uh, a terrible sense of a of, uh, of this mind that had been conditioned into very kind of uh, dualistic ways of thinking, a kind of absolute right and wrong, good and bad, God and Satan, and and heaven and hell. The mind was the, the the my my background my cultural background religious background made the mind into those very very fixed positions. I saw things that's very much in terms of black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, good and evil, heaven and hell, God and the devil, and that's not a very nice way of perceiving things. You know, intuitively, you feel something's wrong, and it's not, it's not the way things are. But yet, the, the kind of background I'm from was very much an affirmation you know, of this way of thinking. This is the way people in my family tended to think, and the, the kind of what was acceptable in terms of how you thought. So with with Buddhism was a, a kind of real revelation. I remember Zen Buddhism when I was uh, discovered Zen Buddhism when I was twenty one. When the minds suddenly realized, I began to think it paradox. They mentioned paradoxes, and that was something fascinated me. Paradoxes, because before that the mind didn't didn't ever it either was one or the other. It couldn't be both. And uh, that uh, began to get some perspective on the, on the, uh, you know how things can change, and when you're really aware. I used to ask myself is, if you you know if we turn out the light, is is red red in the dark? And then my perceptual mind says, of course it's red. You just turn on the light and it's red, so it stays red even when it's dark that red rose on the shrine. If we turned out all the light now would it still be red? Well we could we could say yes it's red definitely it's fixed red it's going to be red and I can prove every time I switch on the lights it's still red but this is because we're we have the perception of the red rose and so even in the dark when we when we when we look at it, look towards it, we say that rose is, you know, we might not even be able to see it, but we can even imagine the rose being there, and then it's still red in the dark. But in terms of experience, that's not the way it is, is it? It's darkness, I mean, to make red, you have to have light. Red doesn't exist in the dark. It's dependent color, isn't it? It's And then depends, the shade of red depends on the 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 amount of light. So you have a fixed view of it's a certain color of red, you know, fire engine red. So even when the lights are dim, you still perceive it as fire engine red. Your mind is kind of programmed to see it through, through these clumsy perceptions. And then as you break out of that habit and see through the you know the the perceptions are not to dismiss perceptions but recognize their limitation not be grasping them and using them as a as a foundation of experience then we then we can we we awaken to the flow and the flux of our being of a, of a, of conscious experience So tonight is the is the one pra the full moon night, but uh, I think uh, the community is uh, rather uh, tired out, and there's this uh, influenza germ going around, and so if you'd rather not uh, sit up, uh, you have my blessings to sit up all night or not sit up all night or to sit up part of the night or to not sit up at all. But if you lie down go back to your room don't lie down in here. (laughs) But just as long as you do it mindfully I keep remembering Now, experiences now, whether you're lying down, or sitting up, or thinking you should stay, or thinking you shouldn't stay, or we're not quite sure what you're going to do, or thinking, yippee, I can go back, or <laughs> thinking, you know, oh gosh, you know, the, the, they're letting us get away with too much. Now, Jensen Gina would make us sit up all night. <laughs> <gasps>